How are you all doing this morning? Now, how many of you took your assignment last week seriously and you went through your entire house, your garage, your basement, you looked at everything you owned and you asked the question, do I need this? Did anyone do that besides me this week? Okay, a few of you did and some of you have told me about it. Isn't it cleansing to simplify your life? If you want to see how much simpler um, my family's life has become, uh, drive by our house today and you'll see leaning up against the side of the house our trash man's worst nightmare on Tuesday. Uh, we got, yeah, go ahead. That deserves an applause, I think. Uh, listen, um, so convicted as I was going through my things, and we had ended up with uh, three trips to the Goodwill, I think, and there's a fourth one coming this week. All sorts of stuff we're just getting rid of because we don't want that hindering us and taking up our time, or we could do be something otherwise, or we could be doing something otherwise. Please, if you haven't taken the time, remember that uh, last S that we covered: simplify. Um, joining us this morning, as Ryan said, is Dr. Brian Cluth. If um, what he has to say today sounds at all familiar to you, it's because I have been unashamedly stealing everything that I ever read that he ever written. And, uh, but uh, boy, he's saved the best for last. I, I got a chance to hear what God is saying through Brian this morning at our 8 o'clock service. Uh, folks, I feel so convicted. There's so much I need to do to change in my life to obtain this spirit of giving that we've been talking about the last few weeks. Brian has a lot of resources out in the lobby. You ought to take a time and take a look at it. He'll tell you some more about that uh, uh, during his message. What can I tell you about Brian? The media, the national media calls Brian America's giving guy. So when they need something, when the, he's been in the first page of the USA Today paper I read, he's been in the Washington Post, um, God has him out there even um, when um, uh, the national media even wants to know what Christians, what the church has to say about giving, they call America's giving guy. He's been into 40 different countries, his materials into 150 countries, the little booklet most of us have been looking at, over half a million copies, 2,000 churches. And uh, in all of that, I'm just delighted to find out he's a neighbor of ours down in Highlands Ranch. Um, he's a single dad. His wife, Sandy, passed away about eight years ago now due to cancer. He's got three teenagers, Joshua, Bethany, and Jeremy. And so I know, Brian, they've been teaching you about a spirit of giving and how to be generous, right? <laughs> yeah. Hey, it's cold outside, so let's give Dr. Brian Kluth a warm West Bowls welcome. Would you welcome Brian Kluth? Thanks, Brian. Okay, thank you. Well... It is great to be with you today. I'm so grateful I got to just come a short distance, about 20 minutes, to my house. Uh, one of my recent trips was uh, Australia, New Zealand, and that is a long bus ride. If you've ever done that, it, it's Greyhound goes there, but it's, it takes a long time to get there. Hey, I've been watching the videos, and your pastor's been doing a great job on this series, and I've really enjoyed the dramas. They've done a wonderful job. I think I'm going to take them with me on my future trips, so get ready to go to South Africa and uh, Uganda and back to Australia and other places, but... Uh, I'm so grateful for the chance to just be able to share my heart, share a bit of my journey with you. You see, everybody in this room, you know, we're all on a generosity journey. Uh, no one is born generous. No one is born again generous. Uh, generosity is something you learn in your life's journey, and it's something that God has on his heart for you. Uh, let me explain what I mean by that. Uh, 
If I asked you to write down, take a pen and paper and write down what are some of your financial goals in the next 12 months, okay? And if you took out a piece of paper, pen, pencil, and you wrote that down, um, you probably have some things in your mind and it would probably relate to maybe buying something. Maybe in the next 12 months there's something you wanna buy. There's some of you that would say, well, there's some debt that you have and you really would like to get rid of that debt. There's others of you that would say, well, I really want to invest in a business or I want to have some investments or something. But all of us would be able to write something down. Even a child would be able to write down something that they want to do with money in the next 12 months. If I collected those slips of paper, how many people would have said, Brian, what I want is I want to be more generous. I want to give more. I want to understand that part of my spiritual journey better. Probably very few of us would have had that on our radar screen. And yet here's what I know about God. God is our Heavenly Father, and one of His desires for you in the coming year and in the rest of your life is that you would learn to become more generous. That's part of his heart for you. I mean, I'm a father, a father to three teens, single father to three teens. So what I say is, please pray for me, okay? (laughs) I need the prayer, you need the practice. So pray for me, all right? (laughs) But I don't desire my children to be greedy. I don't desire them to be ungrateful. I don't desire them to be grabbing for stuff. I want them to be grateful. I want them to learn to share. I want them to learn to be generous. I want them to be a blessing to other people. That's my heart for my children, just as God has that heart for you. But you see, the average Christian, there's a bit of a struggle with this idea of generosity because you're really not sure why to be generous. Why why would you want to do that? Why, Why would you want to make giving to God and being generous the highest financial priority in your life? Most people in this room wouldn't wouldn't have a real good reason for that. Now, most of you would say, well, Christians should give, but then there's lots of reasons why they don't give. But if you don't understand why to do something, you'll not really do it. Let me give an example. Um, How many of you here, you think, I want you to raise your hands, you think Christians should read their Bibles every day? Just raise your hands. Great, okay. Christians should read their Bibles every day. We all agree that that's a good thing. Now, if I said, how many of you have read the Bible, your Bible, you spend time with God in the Word every single day the last week? There probably wouldn't be as many hands that you were in the Word every day. And if I said, what about the last month? There'd be fewer hands every single day. What about the last year? What about the last decade? What about the last 25 years? You see, there the hands would be going down because it's not enough to know what you should do. If you don't know why to do it, you won't do it. But in my own life's journey, when I was in my 20s, I read a book by Tim LaHaye, How to Study the Bible for Yourself. And in there, there was one chapter, Why Spend Time in God's Word Every Day. As a young guy, probably 25 years old, and I read in that little chapter that if I'm in the Word of God every day, God will give me more wisdom. God will give me more peace. God will give me more strength. God will give me more guidance. God will lead me. God will help me. And I remember reading that little chapter, eight or nine verses, and I thought to myself, oh my goodness, 
I need that every day of my life. I need God in my life, every day of my life. And that was 30 some years ago, but so here's what happened. Because I knew why to be in the Word of God every day, for over 30 years I've been in the Word of God every single day of my life, not because I should be, but because I wanted to be. And I knew why to be. It changes everything. What I want to do today in these few minutes I have with you, I want to help you understand why to be a generous Christian. Why to make giving to God the highest financial priority in your life when maybe that was a thought you've never had in your entire life. What are five reasons why? Let's take a look at them together. Number one, giving allows you to see God as your provider. When you give to God, what you're doing is you're, you're declaring to God that he's your provider. You, you don't give to get. Some people teach that. That's called the prosperity gospel. The Bible really teaches you give because you've already received something. God has already provided something. And out of thankfulness to God for what he's already done for you, you learn to say, God, thank you for what you've done. And God, I trust you with my future. You know, you may not know what your future holds, but you can know that God holds your future. And, and every act of giving is really declaring to God and declaring to yourself that God is your provider. You see, a lot of people think that their, their company is their provider or the organization they work for is their provider. But, but you know what that, that organization or that company is? They're your employer. God is your provider. And here's the really good news. God's bigger than your employer. God's bigger than money. God's bigger than a paycheck. The Bible says the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. 1 Chronicles 29, 14, everything we have has come from you and we only give you what is already yours. And so when you're giving, what you're doing is you're declaring that God is your provider. And he owns everything. And if he owns everything, he can provide for you any way he wants. And it's bigger than a paycheck. What would you rather have in life? What, what your employer can give you or what God can provide for you? A number of years ago, I worked at a Christian camp. I left my job as a consultant in Milwaukee, an executive consultant, and moved to this Christian camp. And I went on missionary support. So I didn't receive a paycheck. I had a, just a little bit of money. I got what people sent me. And uh, it turned, it was winter. It was late October, early November. And it began to snow in northern Wisconsin. And that part of Wisconsin, the snow comes for six months and then never leaves. And uh, it just doesn't go away. Not like here in Denver and Colorado Springs. We can be a national news, 24-inch snowstorm. And two days later, it's all burned away and gone. Praise the Lord for that. All right. But anyway, but in northern Wisconsin, it doesn't do that. It comes in and stays. And I, and I was at this camp, and I didn't have a, I just got money that people sent to me, and they didn't have any money at a particular time. And when the snow came, I had shoes similar to this, and I didn't have any boots. And I was like, wow, I need boots. And so I began to pray for money. God, I'm serving you. I'm honoring you. And I'm at this camp. God, I, I really need money for these boots. And began to pray and ask God for money for these boots, and no money came, and I was discouraged, and I was disappointed, and, and then one day, I, I went to my mailbox, and there were three letters from friends, 
And I was like, that is so cool. God has answered my prayer. Because if you, if you write a missionary, you, you, you put money in, right? <laughs> I mean, don't, don't you do that? <laughs> I mean, that's what I was counting on. I mean, I mean, they're grateful for the letter, but they're looking for the money. <laughs> don't ever write a missionary and don't put money in the envelope, okay? You'll be an answer to prayer, I guarantee you. <laughs> but, but I opened the letter and they, there was no money. <laughs> they just said they were praying for me. I appreciated their prayer, but I wanted money. <laughs> My feet were cold. <laughs> and I was so discouraged. I'm like, God, I'm serving you. I'm honoring you. I'm giving to you out of the little bit I have. Went to my office. Guy comes walking down the hallway carrying a pair of winter boots. Comes into my office and uh, he said, Brian, hey, you know anyone who needs a pair of winter boots? <laughs> you know, yeah, I do. Larry, what's the story? Well, I bought a house and I, on the house there's this farm and up in the hayloft there's this pair of winter boots, but they don't fit me. I'm looking for someone that, that you know, that can wear them. And folks, I, I remember sitting down. He gave them to me, and I, and I took, off my, my, took off my shoe here, and, and I put on my boot, and uh, I felt like Cinderella. <laughs> I, it, it was not a glass slipper, but they were my exact size. And I remember I put them on, and they were warm. And that day I discovered something. I didn't need money. I needed a pair of boots. And my heavenly Father in heaven, my provider, sent me the boots, had them hand-delivered, <laughs> no sales tax, <laughs> nothing. <laughs> and I have never forgotten that. And in all my life, my friends, I've seen God provide and provide and provide and provide and provide. And sometimes he even uses money, <laughs> but he doesn't have to. And when you learn to give to God, you're declaring, God, you're my provider. Thank you for what you've given. And God, I trust you with my future. I trust you to meet my needs, not my greeds, my needs. And let God work in your life. Number two, and this is a really important one for a lot of you. Giving allows you to overcome financial fears and worries. Giving allows you to overcome financial fears and worries. Why don't most Christians give? And we are in the midst, my friends, of a 40-year decline in the percentage that Christians give. For 40 years, the amount of a percentage of income that Christians give has been declining. We are now at a time in America where those that give 10% or more, which was oftentimes viewed as something normal for the Christian, only maybe 5 to 7% of Christians do that. We live in a time when in most churches, one-third of the people attending, if you went to their giving statements, they're empty, they're blank. Another third of the people give under $500 a year. So we live in a time when, when people are not generous, they're not givers, and they have lots of reasons, but the biggest reason is they're just scared. They're just afraid. Because what they've done is they've done the simple mathematics. They've done the math, and what they've done is they, they look at their life, they look at their lifestyle, they look at their income, look at their paycheck, and they say to themselves, well, what we have is just enough. And if we give anything away, we'll have less. And we can't really do that. And then there's others that say, well, what we have isn't enough. And we're going behind every week, every month. And so we might want to give, but we certainly can't give. And you're afraid. And you're tight-fisted. 
and you're just trying to hold on to anything you can get into your little hands. And it's scary. And you don't know what's going to happen with the election. And you don't know what's going to happen with your job. And you don't know what's going to happen with the stock market. And you don't know what's going to happen in the future. And, and so you just get scared and you get tight-fisted. But here's what you need to understand. If I'm speaking to you right now, generosity and giving is God's crazy mathematics. <laughs> You've done the simple math, but you left God out of the equation. See, when you begin to give to God, something happens. God enters your financial picture. Now, I'm not a prosperity gospel preacher. I don't believe in the name it, claim it, blab it, grab it theology, okay? I don't believe that stuff. <laughs> but here's what I'll tell you. When you begin to give to God, when you begin to honor God with whatever he gives you, whether you have little or much or not enough, but if you honor God with what you have, God moves into the picture and you begin to experience God like you've not before. One of the things he does is he gives you more wisdom. He gives you more wisdom. You see, when you don't honor God, you can do really dumb things with your money. <laughs> he just lets you, well, you want to do this on your own? Go ahead. <laughs> And you do it on your own and you like do really dumb stuff. Before I was a giver, listen to what I used to do. I used to buy things I did not need with money I did not have to impress people I did not like. <laughs> That's dumb. <laughs> and then suddenly I began to give to God and he gave me wisdom. Don't do that dumb stuff. <laughs> Before I was a giver, I wanted everything I saw and every new thing that came out. The newer, the faster, the shinier, the better. I wanted it. I was materialistic. And then I began to be a giver, and God made me more content. What I had, I was thankful for. When I began to be a giver, I, I found that, that though I thought I had less, God seemed to make it go further. And he would stretch my resources and he would make provisions for me that were unexpected, that were unusual. And I just discovered that I could have one of two things in my heart. I could let fear rule me, or I could let faith rule me. I could give the master charge of my life, or I could give the master charge, charge of my life. <laughs> And I decided I wanted to give the master charge of my life. And I began to be a giver. And in place of that fear, there was suddenly a faith. There was suddenly a confidence in God. There was suddenly strength for the journey. There was suddenly wisdom I didn't have. There was contentment I had never experienced. There was peace that had not been there before. 1 Kings 17, 13 to 16, there was a three-year famine in the land. There was a widow. She, had a, she was a single mother. Things were tough, and she was tight-fisted, and boy, she took that little bit she had, and she made it stretch and stretch and stretch, but finally it came to the end, and there was no welfare, and there was no food stamps, and there was no soup kitchen, and there was no benevolence ministry, and there was no church with a pantry. There was nobody helping her at all, and finally she came down to the very end, and she had one meal, and she was going to take that meal, and she was going to feed it to herself and her son, and they were going to die. One meal away from death. Have you ever been there? One meal away from death? I was preaching in a university town one time, and I asked that question, has any of you ever been one meal away from death? Kid in the back yells, depends what they're having in the cafeteria today. <laughs> so, 
But here was this woman one meal away from death. Elijah says to her, give me something to eat. And she basically says, what I have is not enough. This is my last meal. My son and I are going to eat it and die. And here, here's what he says to her. Elijah says to her, don't be afraid. <laughs> don't be afraid. God might have brought me here today to this pulpit right now because some of you have been so gripped by fear and God brought me here to say, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. You see, for this woman, that's all she knew was fear. She knew the day was coming and suddenly it was here. It was, it was over. It was done. There was no going on. But Elijah says to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said. But first, your first priority, your highest priority, financial priority, make a small cake of bread for me from what you have. What she had wasn't enough. <laughs> and he said, from what you have. And then bring it to me. And then make something for yourself and your son. Wow. <laughs> you know what I think she probably thought? This is crazy. You see, when, when you get to that point to be willing to be a giver, you may come to that place. I was there. I had more month than I had money when I started being a giver. I'm like, this is crazy. <laughs> but God, if you're in it, I'm gonna, I want to do life your way. And uh, she said, okay. So she made the food. She gave some to Elijah and then her, her and her son. Then the Bible says, and she says this, and every day, every day, she continued to give to Elijah first and then for, to herself, and then it says to her family. The relatives showed up. <laughs> they found out she had food, not just her son. And you see the conversation around the table was, look what God was doing. Look what God was doing. Look how God was providing. A dear friend of mine many years ago, single mother to three children. Her husband left her. He was a difficult man, a hard person. And I was talking to her, and, and she was telling me that she was going to begin to give to God out of her grocery money. And I said, what do you mean? She said, my husband left me, but he's sending me grocery money, and so I'm going to give to God out of my grocery money. And she told me how much it was each week. And my friends, that amount that she had was so small, it wouldn't feed one person, much less three children. And I remember at that time in my life, I was young and dumb and I didn't understand the ways of God. And I said to her, I think that's really great you want to give, but I think God uh, looks at your heart and it's nice you want to give, but I don't think you should give. You need to hold on to all that money because it's not enough anyway. And you need that for yourself. Don't give anything away. And I'll never, look, I'll never forget what she said. She said, Brian, she said, don't rob me of the joy of giving. God's given me grocery money and I'm going to give to God out of my grocery money. I said, well, how are your needs going to get met? I don't know. But God will somehow take care of me. So a number of months later, I said, Nancy, how are you doing? She said, let me tell you a story, Brian. She said, I hadn't worked for a number of years. I looked for a job. I got a job with a cookbook company. And she said, what they would do is they would pay me to go grocery shopping, to buy all this food, I'd bring it home, and then I would cook all of the food, and I'd display it on a table, and the photographers would come in and take pictures. And ladies, you know what that, those cookbooks look like. So there's hams, there's roasts, there's turkeys, there's casseroles, there's pies, there's cakes, there's vegetable dishes. So Nancy would prepare all of that food, and so they paid her to do all of this, and then when they were done taking all the pictures, they said, we don't want the food, you can just have it. <laughs> and here she gave to God out of her grocery money. 
And her heavenly father gave her family groceries. And she said, Brian, I had so much food. We had to have family in, friends in, neighbors in, because God was providing. She discovered God's provision. Genesis 28, 20 to 22. Jacob, he's, he's a young man. He's running away from home. He has no job, no money in his pocket, no food to eat, nothing. And he, and he has this experience with God. And he says, God, if you will be real to me, or now that, now that I know you're real, God, if you'll watch over me and give me food to eat and clothes to wear, keep me safe on this journey I'm taking, God, you will be my God, and I will give you a tent. When is the easiest time to make a decision to be a giver? When you have nothing. <laughs> there's children here. There's teenagers here. There's young people here. When do you decide to be a giver? Now. What of those of you who are struggling? Now. For me, more month than money. Little tiny paycheck, empty checkbook, big pile of bills. It was now. Okay, God, when I get paid, first check I'll do is I'll, I'll write to you. I will honor you. He made that decision. You see, the idea of giving 10%, it's not a someday experience. It's the starting blocks. You go from there and you grow from there. And I met with a lot of people in financial trouble and I would literally say, I look at all their piles of bills and I would say, okay, I have one question for you. From now on, will you honor God with whatever you have? They said, look at the mess. I said, oh, I know, you, it's a huge mess. But it's gonna take all the help of heaven to get you out. And so the way you invite God in is you honor him with whatever he's given you. Number three, giving allows you to bring God's order to your finances. God's order to your finances. Deuteronomy 14.23, the purpose of tithing is to teach you to always put God first in your lives. Proverbs 3.9, honor the Lord by giving him the first part of all your income. Uh, think this with me this morning, if I would have gotten up and gotten dressed, and I would have come here, but I would have taken this button and I put it in the wrong hole. Okay? <laughs> and I would have walked in here, and, and this is a friendly church, and people are really nice, and Somebody probably would have come up and said, hey, Brian, before you want to stand up in front of all of us, you probably want to fix your sport coat. You're looking a little goofy there. <laughs> and I said, oh, hey, thank you, thank you so much. I really appreciate you telling me that. Okay, good. <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. Hey, thanks. No, you'd be going, who's this idiot up here? Okay. Whoa. I mean, what's wrong? You say, I mean, I got some pressure here. I got a bit of a mess here. The problem is, I mean, I got enough buttons. I got enough buttonholes. The order's all wrong. This is the way a lot of people's finances look. You know what your problem is? It's not how much money you have or don't have. It's never about the quantity of money. The Bible says faithful and little, faithful and much. Unfaithful and little, unfaithful and much. The answer is not more. The answer is manage what you've already been entrusted. And if you don't learn to give to God first, you're always going to have a mess. I don't care how much you make. I know people making $150,000 a year, but they're spending $180,000 a year. When your outgo exceeds your income, your upkeep leads to your downfall. That's just the way it works. Okay. It's all about order. When my children were little, I, I, I had them make envelopes, you know, a giving envelope and a savings envelope and a spending envelope. And whenever they got any money, we'd go into the bedroom and we'd, we'd put money in the envelopes. And the, the first envelope was giving to God. That's the first button. 
You know, the second one was savings. You know, third was spending. When you get the order right, everything gets in line. And when, I, when my son turned 16, I gave him a fourth envelope. He says, what's this? He says, it's called taxes. <laughs> he says, I don't want that. I said, neither do I. <laughs> you know? Malachi 3.10, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. Do you know that this is the only place in the entire Bible where God says we can test him? Where God says, you know what? When it comes to the idea of giving systematically and giving spontaneously, God says, test me, that he's big enough. I was teaching on this in Africa, and uh, a guy came to me afterwards, and he said, Brian, you need to understand what this verse means in Africa. I said, what does it mean? He said, well, in Africa, when, when a child is about two or three years of age, the father will take the child into the jungle, take them up a tall tree, take them out on a branch, set them on the branch, tell them to stay there, and then the father will come down. And then the father will stand under that branch with that little child 20-some feet in the air and tell the child to jump. (laughs) And the child will say, but daddy, I'm scared. Daddy, I don't want to. Daddy, what if I get hurt? Daddy, what if you don't catch me? No, trust me. I'm big enough. I'm strong enough. Daddy will catch you. No, 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 Daddy, I'm afraid. It's okay. It's okay. I've caught your brother. I've caught your sister. I'll catch you. And finally that child will push off. (gasps) Drop through the sky. (laughs) Into the father's arms. And the child will go, Daddy, that was fun. Let's do it again. (laughs) Here's what you, I want you to know. There's a heavenly father that calls out to you. You're in your financial tree and it feels so scary and you're so afraid and it seems so hard. God will catch you. But you got to push off the tree. You got to push off the tree. Number four. Giving allows you to fight the dragon of materialism. This, is, this comes from a friend of mine. I asked him one day, I said, why are you a giver? He said, oh, that's pretty simple. I said, why is that? He said, it's the only way I know to fight the dragon. I said, the dragon? He said, yeah, the dragon of materialism. He said, every day that dragon breathes down my neck. That dragon, he said, I look at the internet, I look at the billboards, I look at the magazines, I look at the newspaper, I look at TV. And he said, I listen to the radio and, and there's all these things saying, I can't be happy, I can't be content, I can't be satisfied until I get the latest, greatest, newest thing. And he says, and so giving is the only antidote I have. He said, when I take uh, my pen and I honor God by giving him from my income and my financial blessings, I honor God first from whatever he's given me. He said, that is the way I tell that dragon to back off. He said, it's the only way I know how to do that, to tell that dragon to back off. I've got some money up here. got a $100 bill and a $1 bill. And one day, well, actually, I'll tell you, what they do in America with these, when they wear out, is they burn them. They put them in an incinerator. Money talks. You know what it says? Goodbye. (laughs) Some of you understand that. (laughs) Adios, see you later. Hasta la vista, baby. (laughs) But ultimately, they burn these. Anyway, on the way to the furnace, suddenly they started having a conversation, the $100 bill and the $1 bill. (laughs) One dollar bill said, hey, how was life life like for you, $100 bill? Hey, life was sweet. 
nice cars, nice home, nice clothes, nice restaurants, nice vacation. Life was sweet. How about you, little one dollar bill? How was life like? What was life like for you? Huh? All I ever did was go to church, go to church, go to church, go to church, go to church. <laughs> $100 bill said, what's a church? <laughs> I had an usher in my, my church where I pastored in Colorado Springs. He said, hey, pastor, he said, uh, saw a $100 bill in the offering plate today. I said, that's cool. I said, how often have you seen that? He said, nah. he said first one. I said, how long have you been ushering? 27 years. <laughs> Do you know how big this looks in church? <laughs> $100, I mean, take six guys to carry this. <laughs> oh my goodness. $100 bill in church. You go take this to Home Depot and Lowe's, you don't even get out of there. <laughs> and yet, if the average church said everybody would like you to give an extra $100 today, you know, the pastor would be a dead man in the dumpster on Monday morning. <laughs> <laughs> Who do you think you are asking us for $100? And yet we'll go out and we'll spend hundreds, we'll spend multiples of these and never think about it. And yet God wants us to learn to be open-handed in this tight-fisted world. 1 Timothy 6.10, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. Teach those who are rich in this world. Uh, are you rich? Are you rich? Uh, answer that in your mind. Are you rich? Well, let's say I knew what the dividing line was for the income in this church, and I said, okay, everybody who's over this certain number, you're on the richest half of this church. I'd like you to sit on this side. <laughs> and then all, of you, all the rest of you, uh, you need to sit on this side, okay? So those on this side would be the richest, right? They'd be the richest half. What does it take to be in the richest half of the world. If we could put six billion people on the planet in this sanctuary right now, today, and say, okay, the rich half and the poor half, what does it take to be in the rich half? $1,500. If you make $1,500, congratulations. You're in the richest half of the world's population. You're rich. You're rich. You make... $30,000, in a household, you're somewhere up in the top, I forget what it is, 10, 15, 20% of the richest people on the planet. You know, you're making 60, 70, 80,000, you're, you're in the top couple percent. But the Bible says, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. A, a few years ago, my Kids were talking about Christmas, and they kept telling me everything they wanted for Christmas. And the list kept growing the closer we got to Christmas. And I, I said to my kids one day, I said, well, wait, wait, wait a minute. I said, whose birthday is it anyway? <laughs> it was Christmas, right? And they said, Jesus' birthday. <laughs> and I said, well, who should get the biggest presents at Christmas? Jesus, but he's not here. <laughs> <laughs> And I began to think, huh, who should get the biggest presents at Christmas? And so that Christmas, 
we were getting ready to open our presents. And I said, told the kids, you know, we read the Christmas story and we're getting ready to open the presents. I said, well, before we do that, we're going to give, we're going to give presents to Jesus. How are we going to do that? I said, well, here's an envelope. Each of you has an envelope. Mom, me, three kids. Open up your envelope. And in the envelope is the most money they had ever touched, ever touched in their own hands. So what's this for? Is this for us? No, it's for Jesus. <laughs> How are we going to do that? Well, there's a verse. When you do it to the least of these, you've done it unto me. And the way you give presents to Jesus at Christmas is you serve the lonely and the least and the lost and God's leaders. And in that envelope were names of widows and names of single moms and names of children and the names of missionaries and names of pastors. And we said, with each child, you decide where you want that money to go. And as a family, we, we did that and we told each other where the money was going to go. And then we opened our presents and our presents were worth one-tenth what they had just given to Jesus. A couple years ago, I called Salvation Army and I said, we want, our family wants to help a family that will have no Christmas without someone's help. It was like December 23rd or 22nd. And they found a family, a mother dying of cancer with six children. And I said, we, I want to I know what they want for Christmas. And they got us a list and the mother wanted a pair of tennis shoes and the six children wanted blankets. That was all they wanted. And so my family met that family at a Chinese buffet and we, we bought them lunch and we shared a Christmas meal on Christmas Eve day. We gave the mother the, the tennis shoes. We gave the kids, kids blankets and then we gave everybody a, a Walmart gift card so they could leave us and go have a Christmas. You see, because in the Cluth family we've adopted this, Jesus gets the biggest presents. Last year, i just gone to Africa, and, and I was gone. I went over there with my 19-year-old son, and we, we looked at the possibility of building a dormitory at a Christian school. Uh, they wanted to build a 90-bed dormitory, and they want to call it the Sandy House in honor of my wife. She's a wonderful woman. And, and so we went over, and we looked at the project, and we came back, and we said, we want to help with that. As, as God provides, we'll help with that. And, and so it'll be a 90-bed facility, and there'll be girls that will have a chance to get an education that wouldn't ever get to go to school if it weren't for this Sandy House dormitory and all that. And so last Christmas, we, we talked as a family, and, and I went, looked over all my bank accounts, and, you know, I got savings account and investing account and checking accounts, and we made this radical decision. We decided to empty them all out. And at last Christmas Eve, we, we wrote a check, and our family all held it. It was the biggest check I'd ever written in my entire life. And it kind of went around this idea that we're going to live more simply so others can simply live. And last Christmas, Jesus got the biggest present. Last week, they started the construction. They started moving the earth. By March, there'll be a place for 44 girls. As God provides by next fall or next winter, there'll be a place for, you know, 88 girls. But it's this whole idea that Generosity counters this materialistic world in which we live. Number five, giving helps you discover true contentment and joy. First Timothy 6, 6, godliness with contentment is great gain. Contentment will never come from getting everything you want. If I, wrote, if I asked you to write down everything you want, and then I said, meet me in the lobby afterwards, and I will give you a check, 
you tell me the value of everything you want, and I'll give you a check, and you can walk out today, and you can buy it all. One month from now, you'd have a new list. You'd have a new list. Contentment is ne- it never comes from getting everything you want. Contentment comes from being thankful for everything you have already and sharing it and sharing it. A number of years ago, I was in India with my wife, and we talked to Vijay Kumar. He was an Awana leader. <laughs> and Vijay was a great guy. And my, my wife said to him one day, um, hey, Vijay, isn't it true that most Christians in India are really, really poor? I'll never forget his answer. Yes, Miss Sandy. We are very poor, but we are rich in Christ. Yes, Miss Sandy, we are very poor, but we are rich in Christ. You know, it's 30 years ago. I never forgot that line. He was rich in Christ. He had nothing of this world's goods. And he was rich in Christ. Many of us have everything of this world's goods. And we're poor in Christ. God wants to work in us. He, he wants to help us learn to be open-handed in this tight-fisted world because here's a really cool thing. When you do this, when you learn to be open-handed, not only do you sh- share, but, but you receive from God. Because here's the truth. God can get it to you if he can get it through you. And so if you, if you learn to be open-handed, you can receive from God and freely share with others whatever God has freely given to you. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 8, excel in the grace of giving. Grace is God, not the guilt of giving. giving. Grace is God's supernatural activity on your life where he touches your heart, he changes your life, and everything is different. Once you learn to drink the generosity Kool-Aid, you'll never go back. You'll live a life of real, real joy real, real contentment. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for every person here. I thank you for their generosity journey. I thank you for the many, many ways that you have provided for them. I thank you for that which they have. I thank you for that which they will have in the future. I pray that you would do the miracle of helping them learn to be more generous, giving them the desire to want to be more generous, giving them joy in their generosity journey, allowing them to become Jesus with skin on, that they might be blessed to be a blessing, that they might just open-handedly share whatever you give them, Lord, and that they might be a blessing in the lives of others. God, may you get all the glory for what you're going to do in them and with them and for them and through them as they embrace you and embrace this truth for their life. In Christ's name, amen. I've got a, one more slide. I do have resources. What I tell people is it's never what I say to you that will make a difference in your life. It's what I leave for you. And so I have a number of things. How many of you here, you're married to an aging spouse? Okay, men, do not raise your hand right now. Ladies, you can raise your hand. Okay. Right. I, I spent two years writing the Because I Love You Christian Legacy Organizer because my parents passed away and my wife passed away, all right? In here, there are forms and lists 
and things you never knew you needed that you really need. Some of you are going to be seeing family this Christmas, this Thanksgiving. Please go back and get one of these. You, this will help you so much with aging relatives that you're going to see things that you need to begin to gather and glean from them. Please get that. And, uh, and then even just for your marriage, it will help your marriage tremendously. That's one thing. Then I wrote a book, Experience God as Your Provider. If you are here today and you have any fear about your finances or the future, please do yourself a favor and pick up one of these three resources. Some of you know how to read and you read. You can get the book, okay? <laughs> All right, so Experience God as Your Provider. Some of you will never read. You know how to read, but you'll never read. Okay, for you, we have a CD, all right? Five hours of teaching. So get the CD, listen to it in the car, on your computer, your iPod, whatever. Get that. Some of you won't listen, okay? You just want the cheat sheet version, okay? For you, I have a bookmark, okay? <laughs> this is everything you need to know about finances, according to the Bible, on a bookmark. Twelve things you must know about managing your finances. On the back, there's 50 ways God provides. One of them is a paycheck. 49 are not a paycheck. You need to understand how does God provide. So that's back there. And then if you've liked the 40-day generosity booklet, if you haven't finished it, you can continue to read it after today. It's okay. But if you want more, I've written a 30-day, and this is basically 30 stories of living a generous life and some teaching that would help you, and that's back there. All of these things, again, come with CDs or DVDs or whatever. Uh, I'll keep the $100 up here, so anyway. <laughs> uh, but they're back there. It's, it's a love offering. I mean, there's a suggested donation, but it's a love offering. Go take those resources. Take them home. Use them. Leave something behind. I would be grateful for that. If you do need to use a credit card, we have a little uh, cell phone and we can do a credit card swipe if you have to. Mary Ellen will be helping with that. But thank you. Thank you for letting me share my heart, my life, my journey with you today. God bless you all. Thank you so much. Would you stand, please, uh, for God's blessing, his uh, benediction this morning. If you're visiting, I always ask uh, people just to turn toward the center, uh, not just to face me, but uh, to face others. Um, church can be such a back-of-the-head experience, so let's take a look at one another and uh, hear these words from Torah, uh, the priestly blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you, to smile on you, and be gracious to you. And may the Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace, his shalom. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. If you'd be gracious enough to let Brian make his way back to his table, um, go and say hi to him. You can find him back there. God bless you all.